Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Nick, today's episode is brought to you by the NBA Store. I was watching the game the other night with the Nets and the Wizards. I mean, the, the Wizards are down five. There's literally like six seconds left on the clock. Beal hits a three. Turnover. Westbrook hits a three. I'm going nuts. The NBA has been awesome this year. Seriously, like all, all these games, the trades, but what a crazy year. I know, I know you're a Nets fan, Nick, so you're, you're not taking kind to that loss, but what a, great, what a great start so far to the season. Yeah, man. Brooklyn showing up. They uh... – both games this weekend, they're scoring over 140 points. Like, yeah, it's just, I mean, that's what you expect when you add, you know, three of the best players. That's in the true. League. Fair enough. Seriously. But um, folks, the NBA store is great. And Nick, I know you've been to the NBA store, the big one in the city. No. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, listen, we're not at the arenas. That's fine. Suit up with the latest gear at the NBA store and show support for your team. We're obviously sidelined from going to the arena. That doesn't mean you can't watch these games from your couch in style, folks. We're teaming up with the NBA and Podgo, and we're bringing our listeners. Nick, jot this number down. Tell me how big this is. 75% off. You say 75 as in 7-5? Right. Do you, are Ooh. you good at math? What, 75% off is how much? Let's, let's say it's well, five. If, I, if I had four quarters, three of them would be going to this. <laughs> right. That's awesome. That is how much we're saving people. That's a great math equation for our listeners out there. You heard that right. Podgo.co backslash NBA. You're going to get 75% off select items from the NBA store. It's the NBA, Nick, where amazing happens. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. we got another good one, Nick. Uh, one of our favorite people and authors is going to be joining us tonight uh, talking about the world of sports. Uh, we're going to shift gears tonight. 
And that's going to be Jeff Perlman, New York Times bestselling author. This guy's written books on everybody from Kobe, Shaq, um, the Showtime Lakers in the 90s. Uh, he's written books on Clemens, Bonds. Uh, so we're going to be talking with him in, in just a little bit. But before we jump into today's episode, um, some unfortunate news. Gr- um, Greg Naismith, uh, a friend of you and I, Nick's uh, fellow podcaster, um, he was a Philly native that that worked a lot in the Philadelphia community, passed away. You and I, Nick, knew him, but we didn't know that we both knew him. And you texted me that he passed away. Um, and I knew Greg through playing basketball back in, in New York City. And him and I had talked from time to time about his podcast and the underdogstuff.com, where you could check out Greg's website and all the stuff that he was doing Um he also ran uh, another podcast, Bridges to Wealth, uh, working on like bridging the wealth gap in the Philadelphia area. So Greg was just such a good guy. Uh, Nick, I'm, I'm curious for you, like of all the interactions you have with Greg, tell, tell our audience a little bit about how, how you got to know Greg. Sure. Yeah, actually. And Mike, you spoke about how we sort of happened to both know the same yeah. person. Um, Greg is... Greg was good friends uh, with a mutual friend of ours, Nick Papadopoulos, who uh, has a men's group who, um, with Greg, had had a podcast, The Dudes of Disruption, which, folks, you can still find on iTunes. Fantastic show just talking about men really in the 21st century and about our growth and development. Um, but Greg had been actually one of the founders of that men's group. Um, Greg right. and I were not in the group at the same time, but we had known each other. Uh, and actually, last week, after you and I wrapped taping, uh, I hopped on to a reunion call, uh, Zoom call with the with the group, actually. And Greg was on it. Uh, and Greg had asked me asked me about the podcast. I mean, it, right. it blown Greg's mind away, knowing that you know you and I were doing the show. Uh, to some extent connected to him in terms of like the show he was doing with Nick and his own program. Um, but just an amazing guy putting out some incredible stuff. And the fact that you, you and I both know him, I'm still tripping on that. Like how yeah. that, I, I, I think that's just, it's so crazy because again, Philadelphia native, you know, he went to a, a UPenn. Um, again, I knew him per chance by just joining this basketball group back in New York city and got to know him over the years when we, my wife and I lived in New York city and he knew I was in media and, and television at the time I was working at Madison Square Garden. And so and I knew he was doing this stuff on the side as well. I'm also, I think, as his as his full time job as well. But I I forget. But um, hadn't talked to him like in over a year. And then uh, the basketball group, uh, somebody had told me about his passing. And that's when you text me, I want to say maybe 30, 40 minutes afterwards, saying that somebody from your group had passed away. And I'm like, is he talking about Greg? And then the two of us both kind of jumped in that we couldn't believe how we knew him from the different circles. Just a great guy. Uh, he will be missed. Uh, we're going to be putting out some information uh, in the coming days when we find out where, where donations can be made in Gregory's honor, because uh, I, I'm telling you, if you ever met Greg, he, he just always had a smile on his face and would always chat about anything, you know, and for, for me talking sports with him, playing basketball with him, just a thrill to, you know, to be able to hang out with G and, and he will surely be missed. Um, as we move into our episode for today, like I mentioned at the top, we got legendary writer, uh, Jeff Perlman, that's going to be joining us. Jeff, you know, formerly at Sports Illustrated, he's covered so many different athletes over the year. You can check out his website, jeffperlman.com. He also is the co-host of the Two Writers Sling and Yang podcast. Check that out, uh, available wherever podcasts are. And Jeff has written so many great books on, I mean, just listen to some of these names, Nick. Brett Favre, Roger Clemens, Troy Aikman, uh, Barry Bonds, you know, Kobe, Shaq, 
Phil Jackson. Uh, I mean, you think about writing and getting direct quotes from these people in these books too is is the the greatest thing that that I think about it because he's got to compile all these stories and then write books on this and his latest book for those of you watching on YouTube you can see it over my shoulder it's called Three Ring Circus Kobe Shaq Phil Jackson and and the dynasty of the of the 90s into 2000s Lakers and it's really the story of about how they got Shaq from Orlando, how they traded for for the Kobe from Charlotte, um, how they got Phil Jackson to jump on to, to coach the team after Del Harris and they let him go. Um, and it, the book really is a great read. It takes you through so many of the different stories from that L.A. team and how the dynasty kind of ended after the loss to the Pistons in the finals in 2004. Um Nick, I know you turned me on to to some of Jeff's uh, books. I had known him before, but some of these books are just great reads. And um, I'm so excited that Jeff's joining us tonight. Yeah, it's trippy. Um, I think the first first book of his I read is actually on the Showtime Lakers. Uh, but I had been familiar with some of his books before. It's funny. I've actually given uh, two of Jeff's books to friends as gifts. Um, Jeff's most one of um the great stories Jeff tells, I mean, if you're a local New York sports person, is about the 86 Mets. So if you've yeah. read When the Bad Guys Won, that author is who we're talking to tonight. Uh, I've also given as a gift um, one of Jeff's recent books on the USFL, probably on the complete other side of what people pay attention to in sports, the United right. States Football League, but one of his most well-researched books and just an amazing story and actually connects to the recent uh, president actually right uh, so yeah, yeah it's, so, i mean it, it's funny no because i was just watching an interview that he did on the rich eisen show a little while back about the usfl topic and and it's really the book is not political it's not but it really is about how trump uh kind of in essence uh disrupted that league and tried to compete directly with the nfl he sued the nfl he actually won a lawsuit but the judgment they won a dollar in the lawsuit because <laughs> the jury had found that the NFL, while they were trying to destroy the USFL, they didn't really affect the monetary part of it. So, so the jury was like, well, we just came up with an amount of a dollar. Jeff actually interviewed one of the jurors for that book. But it just goes to show the level of research he's done in this book. I'm, I'm even leaving off some of the names of the people that he's interviewed. You know, Walter Payton, he did a book on, um, you know, when I found out that he did one on the Cowboys with Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and, and Troy Aikman, I mean... There's just so, so much to talk with Jeff, and we're going to get into, like I said, his latest project, which he's working on right now, a book about Bo Jackson, which Nick and I, both being Raiders fans, are super excited about. So we're going to be talking to Jeff in just a bit. All right, Nick, our guest tonight, we are so excited to have him on. He's a New York Times bestselling author. You can check it out at jeffperlman.com, some of the books that he has written. His latest one is Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson, the story of that Dynasty Lakers team, and that is none other and Jeff Perlman, Jeff, Mike Leon, Nick Savary, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. We really appreciate it. See, I thought you were going to say our next guest needs no interrupt, uh, <laughs> uh, needs no introduction, and then introduce me because I've had that happen a few times. So they'll be like, our next guest has no <laughs> needs no introduction. He's blah blah blah. And I'm like, well, why'd you just introduce me if I don't need one? <laughs> I thought you were going to come back with what a, what an intro. I don't know what to say after that, but I guess my intro was terrible. <laughs> I thought, thought he was. I thought he hit you with like you know solid. it's the USFL book that we're here to talk about. <laughs> Clear on that. I'm in. I'm yeah. In. Right. Oh yeah. Well, listen, we're gonna Dude. get into Trump in a second because I I was watching your Rich Eisen show 
um, interview about that. And I learned so much about that. But I want, I want to get into you, Jeff, because for our audience that may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, how you became a writer, because a lot of people that have come on the show that have been writers, they all have fascinating journeys. And I would love to hear from you of, of how you got into writing. I feel like you set me up. What if my journey is not fascinating? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, um, I'm from a small little town called Mayo Pack, New York, and uh, it's about an hour and 20 minutes north of New York City. And um, when I was growing up, uh, the library was about a mile away from my house. It was a Mayo Pack public library. And I used to go there all the time. And they started knowing me as the sports book guy. I go there for two reasons, to take out sports books and to read Sports Illustrated, because my parents would not subscribe to SI, only Sport Magazine, because it was cheaper. We wouldn't get SI. So I'd go to the library. I'd run. It was like a mile from my house. I'd run get to the library. And after a while, they started having books waiting for me, sports books waiting for me. So they, or they would even call me at home and be like, Hey, Jeff, uh, we just got in the Bo Jackson biography. Um, if you run down here quick, we'll hold it for you. So that really started something for me, like a real love. And I was just gobbling up sports books left and right, just gobbling them up. And, and that was really influential in my life. Um, and then I, you know, sort of traditional, I wrote for my, I was the sports editor of my high school newspaper. Um, I would say I had a moment, I've talked about this sometimes, um, when I was a senior in high school, so I was like, you know, your basic track cross country runner, kind of nerdy, not that cool. And my senior year, I wrote a story for the student newspaper, the Mailpack high school chieftain, and it was called, um, cheerleading sport or activity with a question mark. And I wrote this whole takedown of cheerleading and how it's nonsense. It's just an activity. The next day I'm sitting in the school cafeteria and I'm surrounded by the cheerleaders and they're all yelling at me. And it's the day before the football game. So they're all wearing their cheerleader getup and they're perfumed up and the short skirts. And I'm just sitting here looking around and I'm like, this is amazing. Like I write something, the cheerleaders all want to talk to me. I don't write something. Nobody has anything to do with me. Right. And I just think like that was my first maybe true awareness of the power of the pen and that you can have a voice. Now my, my, my reasons weren't so great. It was kind of, you know, I liked the attention of the cheerleaders, but I think that was a big moment for me. And then I went on to Delaware and wrote for the student newspaper and was the editor of the student newspaper. And, uh, I got my first, I started my career at the National Tennessean and covered a lot of stuff and then went to Sports Illustrated and, and then started writing books about 17 years ago. Before Nick jumps in here, actually, I, I used to, my father worked in Jefferson Valley. So very familiar with Mayapak. I grew at up in mall? Harrison. Yeah, right, right, right by the mall, like literally right off route, um, not off the Taconic up there. So um, very familiar with Mayapak. We lost to them senior year in, in basketball and everyone was chanting my name. Hey, where'd you go to high school? I went to Harrison High School. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's it's such a small world. I just want to say I worked at the JV mall and um, my first job ever, I was a dishwasher at a restaurant called JB Danigan's. And I lasted, I was 15 years old. I lasted for an hour and I walked out. My second <laughs> job was taking people's opinions. So walking around with a clipboard and asking people for five minutes oh. of their time to take their opinions. Yesterday I was in a Costco and I saw a woman trying to get people to buy solar panels. And I was like, I feel you. I know it sucks. I feel you, but I don't want to <laughs> Jeff, when you came on, you were talking about our respective bookshelves. Um, as you mentioned that story about, about the library and just what books have been pulled aside for you. For our audience, what are some books that were influential to you as a writer? But in general, just when we think of you know sports and biographies and such that you think are musts for people's bookshelves, aside from your stuff. Well, I would never say my, imagine being the writer who's like, <laughs> really, you should be reading my stuff. Um, there are better writers than me. I mean, um, there's a book called uh, A False Spring by Pat Jordan. That's maybe the best sports book I've ever read. It's a great, it's a, Pat Jordan is this great, great, all-time great writer. He's probably in his late seventies now. 
and he came up in the brave system along with Henry Aaron. And he, uh, he wrote a book about his minor league journey. It's called a false spring. It's maybe the best book I've ever read. It's definitely the best sports book I've ever read. Um, when I was a kid, I was really into like, uh, well, John Feinstein books and Peter Golenbach books were two guys. Like there was a book called the Bronx zoo. And there was a diary that Sparky Lyle, the Yankee reliever wrote with Peter Golenbach. It's freaking gold. It's ma- It's a magical book. It's great. Um, and the funny thing is when I was, I'll tell you something, when I, the big ones for me, actually the big, big ones, when I was a kid, there used to be these books that came out called the complete handbook of, and it would either be pro basketball, baseball, or football. And these are all from when I was a kid. These are on my shelf right here. These things were freaking gold to me. And I would run out to the bookstore. They were like six bucks, five ninety five, And I would absorb these things. And I can still quote these things verbatim today. Um, so I was just, Thing is, when I was a kid growing up, it wasn't like every channel had sports on. It wasn't like every game was on. You would never see a San Diego Padre game unless they were coming to play the Mets, you know, or, or maybe on the on the Cubs network. You, it all seemed so foreign. And to me, like reading these books and reading books, it brought it all to me and it kind of painted a picture for me. So it was really influential. A lot of that stuff. Jeff, you know, at the at the top in our intro, before you came on, we were talking about some of the books you've written on, and I and I mentioned the names: Clemens, Bonds you know, Walter Payton, Kobe, Shaq, just such iconic names. Um, But was there anybody that you turned down writing about either a biography or was there a subject matter that you turned down writing? And and if so, how come? Uh, Not really. The only, when I was a young writer at the Tennessean, I had this weird, quirky desire to write the biography of former Kiss drummer, Peter Chris. I couldn't tell you why. I don't know why. I have no idea. And I think I wrote Peter Chris asking if he'd be interested in having someone write his biography. And I never heard back from him. Um, I've had book ideas that have been rejected before. That happens where you go to a publisher and, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. I really wanted to do a book years ago about um, the gun movement in America. I want to spend a year as an undercover gun zealot and to see what it's like, you know, go to NRA meetings and go on hunting trips. Still might do it down the line if someone would pay me for it. But I never got a, a real nibble on that. Um, but otherwise, not really. It's been pretty solid. I would, I would read that book. Let me tell you something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what kind of funding you need for that, but I would read that book. I would love to Great. hear some stories. You start in Florida in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So we think about this, just the different um, teams you've covered, you know, the 86 Mets, the Cowboys, the nineties, uh, both Laker teams, you know, both from the eighties and, you know, the Shaq Kobe era. If you had to be asked, well, you're about to be asked, I guess, but, um, what team or group of guys are you most likely to hang out with and which group of guys would you just absolutely steer clear from who, who, who comes to mind? Well, it might be the same team. Cause I, um, I've never snorted Coke. I've only smoked pot twice in my life. I'm not much of a drinker. I was never a cigarette smoker, but I feel like rolling with the 86 Mets would be an absolute joy, you know? So, um, and I grew up watching them. That was my team as a kid, you know, one of those influential teams, but I couldn't hang with them. I couldn't hang with them when I was 20. I couldn't hang with them when I was 30. I definitely couldn't hang with them now. They'd leave me on a bar floor somewhere after my, you know, maybe drinking two Zimas and that'd be it for me. Um, the guy I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would enjoy Roger Clemens's company very much. Um, I don't think he's a terrible guy or anything. I just don't think there's that much there. That's the one book I've written where I, um, I would say ultimately I did not enjoy the process that much. I didn't feel there was that much depth to the man and, and that much substance. And I can deal with, like, Barry Bonds is not a likable human being, but he's a fascinating interview, yeah, portrait for a biography, because he's a really deep and detailed and unique and kind of nuanced guy. Same with Walter Payton, same with Brett Favre. Clemens, I always, I always make the joke, if um, 
if you could take brain waves and put them into words, I think if you read his brain readings, it would be um, baseball, baseball, food, breasts, baseball, baseball. <laughs> and like, that's good for a night out maybe, but not for, not for a long period of time. I'll stay, stay with you with the next question then. You know, of the different topics that come up, the one that stood out to me was the USFL. Because I think the other topics that if you're talking to people about like, oh, of course, you'd write this book, right? The 86 mm -hmm. Mets. And I, I grew up a Mets fan as well. Um, you know, same thing with Bonds and, you know, Bonds, Clemens and the like. But when I heard you were doing a USFL book, A, I was in. But but secondly, and your book kind of speaks to why for you about this. But what was different about that? Because that's definitely kind of that's a deep cut to, to tell that story about that organization. Yeah, well, nobody wanted me to write it. That's the number one thing. Like, I couldn't get my agent said I shouldn't do it. Couldn't get a deal. I'd wanted to do it for years. I had nothing. People think it had some kind of timing with with uh, Donald Trump running for the presidency. It really didn't. I'd wanted to do that book forever. Um, I only got a deal because I uh, I told Houghton Mifflin, Houghton Mifflin, my publisher. I said, "Well, would you publish it if I also do a Favre book? I'll do a Favre book in this book. I'll take less money for both." And they said, "Okay." Um, I just always thought it was a great book. And I always thought if I get behind this book and I bust my ass on it and I put everything in it, I'll find a way to make it sell, which is a little naive probably, but I thought the characters were big enough. The names were big enough. The stories are ridiculous. The whole thing is preposterous. It doesn't hurt that you have a Donald Trump attached to it. So um, I just, uh, I just, I just wanted it. Like I want, that's my favorite book I've written as far as, you seek out to do something. You seek to do something. Everyone tells you you can't do it. And then you accomplish it. That meant a lot to me. So that book is really special to me, actually. Jeff, um, we were talking about your latest book, Three Ring Circus, uh, the story about Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and, and that Laker team. There's a quote in the book that I thought was phenomenal. Uh, I forget the guy's name. I know his last name is Shirley. And he yeah, talks about the pickup game, right, um, that they played with Kobe. And Kobe fouled him, and he's yelling at him. And the guy says, you know, I just felt like he's Kobe Bryant and I'm who I am. And I would still rather be me than him. Yeah. And it just yeah. made me feel like Kobe was so misunderstood. But then, and then I draw the parallel to the tiger doc that recently came out on HBO max. And it's, it's a similar story because it's two athletes that never really honed social skills. They only worked on their craft. Why do you think Kobe was so misunderstood and why, why wasn't he ever bigger than what he was? You know, it's interesting. Today, um, on the day we're recording this, the guy who played Screech and Saved by the Bell died. His name was Dustin Diamond. He was an actor. He was 44. And his life was all kinds of trouble, like all kinds of trouble. And it reminded me initially of like Gary Coleman or Dana Plato or different, different people, kids who are thrust into Hollywood at a young age and never are able to sort of adapt to society because an important part of that growth structure was skipped over. You know, like the three of us sitting here, we probably all like got rejected asking someone out. We probably hit, we're learning to drive and maybe, you know, hit a pole or blah, 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 blah. Didn't know we were in reverse, freaked out. We all got bad grades. Like you all go, you have to go through the different developmental processes. You have to. And when you don't, you end up like a Dustin Diamond. You end up like an Emmanuel Lewis. And in a weird way, you end up like a Kobe Bryant, which is to say you're 17 years old, you get your own sneaker deal for millions of dollars. You're 17 years old. You're being set up to go to your prom with Brandy, who you've never even met before. You're 17 years old. You're holding a, a press conference announcing you're going to the NBA with designer sunglasses sitting atop your head in a suit that probably costs a couple thousand bucks with the members of Boys to Men standing in the back. 
And it's just not normal. Like it's not normal. He grew up with a famous father. He grew up in Italy. The only black kid around in Italy comes to the US, Lower Marion, leafy suburbs, not many African-Americans around. And he shows up with the Lakers and he doesn't really know how to fit in. He doesn't know how to be an adult. Um, and people say, oh, he was such a jerk and blah, blah, blah. And I almost took a more sympathetic view. Like, I don't really know how it could have gone any differently. Like, I don't think it could have gone differently. I think this is who he was made to be. And I think it was only later. I think two things that happened to that guy that were really important in his life and his way too short life was number one, he became a father. And number two, he became, became a mortal basketball player after when he got hurt and he started to age and he wasn't the same guy anymore. Like you need those steps in your life to develop into a human. And suddenly you realize, oh wait, there are more important things than Tuesday night against the Nuggets. So I think over time he developed it, but I just think he was, he was stunted. Yeah, no, it's well said. I, I, I took away a lot different emotions from the book uh, about Kobe. Uh, and, and again, like you got into a lot of the trial stuff too, towards the end and just thought it was really interesting. I recommend the book for a lot of people, not to give you another plug, Jeff, for more sales. No, I mean, it's funny because, because um, when I wrote the book and it came out, when it was coming out, it was really terrifying. Uh, number one, because he died and you just don't know the reality. And in fact, that is a reason he died. He was coming out eight months after his death. You don't know what the response is going to be. A lot of people are just going to see the book. You know, you always think the world's on Twitter, but 99% of society actually is not on Twitter. They don't follow you on Facebook. They don't go to your website. They just see some book come out and they think, who's the asshole who's trying to take advantage of a guy's death? Um, and I was really nervous about that. And the book is not flattering to Kobe. It's not altogether destructive of him, but it's not flattering. And I was, I didn't know how it would go over. And one thing that's kind of uh, relieved me or heartened me is that most people, at least who I've heard from, seem to feel it was a fair and nuanced portrait of the guy. So. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I felt the same. Um, yeah, speaking of that book, I think of Showtime, I think of oh, one thing I appreciate about your, about your books is there's an amazing story at the beginning. And Showtime really stands out to me here because it's the story of how the Lakers got their coach just before Pat Riley. And mm. it involves a bike accident. And I, as I read yeah. that story, and I've seen this happen to me a couple of times, you know, for anyone reading Three Ring Circus or you're about to um, a fight on the bus. What is it about these particular stories? Like what helps you to identify the one that you know you lead with that becomes the well, there goes the next couple of my nights because I'm I'm all in on this book. Well, I mean, it's kind of it's probably a little formulaic, but um you do want to grab someone and you want to grab their attention. And people have a lot of choices what they want to read, you know, and there's certainly better books in my books. I mean, there are better writers than me, obviously. So you want to kind of grab people and get their attention. So um I always think like, I'm, I, I mean, the Laker book, the Showtime book was really interesting. I, Jack McKinney was the original coach of those teams. As you mentioned, it was his dream job, his absolute dream job. And he's coaching them for about know, two weeks or whatever it was. And he gets in this horrible bike accident and that's it for him. And I flew down to Florida to interview him when he was still alive. He's deceased now. And I was warned like, yeah, you know, his memory isn't great, blah, 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 blah. And I was sitting across from him and I had this folder of um, clips from when he was a coach articles and he just couldn't remember things. And it was, he was so frustrated and it was really sad. And, but it also told the story. It was almost like, what could have been if this guy never got in this bike accident? And here he is and his memory's terrible and he's kind of living out his years and he, it's sad, but it didn't have to be this way. It's just this one moment in time. So for me, it's just, I was kind of haunted by that. And that's what, that's what grabbed me with the, with the newer book. It's Kobe getting in a fight with Samaki Walker. And I thought it was really telling of sort of 
Kobe and his where he was emotionally and how the Lakers felt about him. So I guess you want to find something that has an overarching theme, but is also a tight. With the Dallas Cowboy book I wrote, it was Michael Irvin stabbing a teammate with a pair of scissors in the neck. You know, like you are looking for something unique, and at the same time, um, you want it to speak to a bigger issue. These are some great teammates, by the way. Stabbing with the neck, punching in the. <laughs> um, you know what? I will say this: people are always like, "Oh, you pick these wild teams." The truth of the matter is, um, I usually pick really good teams and really dynamic teams. But I guarantee you the 1987 Cleveland Indians had some assholes on their team and some bad guys on their team too. It's just nobody cares because they're 1987 Cleveland Indians. You know, they're all these, it's sports. It's a bunch of guys in one area for a very long period of time. These things happen. Right. I want to stay on that because um, <clears throat> you're a writer. You just told us about, you want to find something that gravitates people towards the story. But what's a story right now in sports that you feel is either just not being covered properly or it's just not being given the right attention? That's interesting. I don't watch nearly as much sports as I used to, so I'm a little flawed here. I do think um, one thing that bothers me, has bothered me a lot, you, may, you guys may agree or disagree, I feel like there's, there's a real sinister element that isn't being discussed enough about these universities pushing these athletes, the vast majority of whom are African-American, um, many of whom come from low income to low middle class, you know, income backgrounds, thrusting them back into this world where they don't get paid um, to play in a pandemic. And the schools themselves aren't open. You can't go to school, but we can, we're going to figure it out. We're all these guys. And the, and the reason has nothing to do, nothing to do with the welfare of the players. It has to do with money. It's all about money unpaid labor, you know? And um, I feel like we're, we, sometimes we get so caught up in cheering and being like, oh, my team this or my team that, or oh, the UCLA, blah, 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 whatever, that we forget just the absolute bullshit of the situation. Like these guys aren't getting paid. They're playing in a pandemic. Um, their health doesn't really seem to concern these universities very much. These universities know they need to meet, keep the money going. And I just feel like that's a story I'm not seeing written enough. Too often we're just writing about the games and not about the impact it's having on these guys. Yeah, I totally agree. We're Nick and I are are looking to do a college amateurism episode. We we may have somebody from Real Sports coming on that actually did uh, some of the pieces on them, or, or potentially Jay Billis from ESPN. Because you're right, yeah. a lot of these athletes are going going through it, and it's all about the mighty dollar. I'll tell you something else that drives me crazy is um drives me crazy along those lines. If you go online, you'll see like Clemson or Texas or whoever. They all do these things. They pay millions of dollars for these souped up football locker rooms, right? And it's like every player gets an Xbox and every player has a glow in the dark, blah, blah, blah. And every player has a massage chair. And it's like, it's so duplicitous because what they're doing, they're basically giving candy to kids. It's basically like giving candy. Come on in, here's your candy. Like these kids should be first and foremost learning about uh, making sure they're getting a good education. That should be number one by far. Are you getting a good education? And they're just trying to bribe these kids with the, and these are public universities spending all this money on this freaking nonsense. Just it infuriates me. College sports, not a fan. Yeah, it's, I mean, follow the money, right? right. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, I mean, there's a number of states where the highest paid state employee happens to be the head coach of a right. football or basketball. Alabama. Right. Alabama. Exactly. Jersey, Rutgers, where we're grads, you know, well, she yeah, is the highest paid employee. Coach Saban has his house paid off by boosters. I mean, I know this, you're talking to a guy, by the way, who, um, I went to University of Delaware. I ran poorly, track and cross country at Delaware. 
And about 10 years ago, they killed the program. The same athletic director mm. who killed that program and other programs is now at Stanford killing their programs. He was, was at Georgetown killing their programs. And um, they just don't give a crap. Like it's all moneymaker to them. These guys, it's just all a moneymaker. And it, it just, yeah, it gets me. You know, difficult transition. I mean, we're talking about college sports now. And the subject of your current research is a well-known college athlete, but a transcendent sports star in Bo Jackson. I mean, each of us could make a story out of playing either Tecmo Bowl or um, both Mike and I are both Raider fans. There's so many different segments of society that somehow connect to Bo. Um, how is the research going? What are some of the things you're learning? What what preconceptions did you have about Bo going into the research? I mean, he's a freaking fascinating. The thing that I love, here's what I love about Bo Jackson. Most people in sports, it'll be like, all right, I'll give a perfect example. We watched, Did you guys see the movie 42, the Jackie Robinson movie? Yep. There's a scene in that movie where um, Pee Wee Reese walks up to Jackie Robinson. They're playing in Cincinnati. He puts his arm around him, and it's this whole thing. It actually never happened. Like, it never happened. It's just myth, right? Um, there are a gazillion people who say they were at game six of the 86 World Series, but really the stadium only held, whatever, 40,000. So that's not true. Like, sports and mythology go hand in hand. The thing that's amazing about Bo Jackson is when people say it was a 600 foot home run, it almost always was a 600 foot home run. When they say he jumped over a car, he actually did jump over a car. When they say like, he was just freaking mythology come to life. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, the clips are on YouTube and they're available. Um, but the things you didn't see that he did in practice that he did behind the scenes are just as amazing. I think, I honestly do. I think, I think I am writing about the greatest athlete who's ever lived. Like, I don't think it's even possible that there could be a greater athlete than Bo Jackson. I know people say Jim Thorpe. Maybe they say Carl Lewis or Jesse Owens or Michael Jordan. It's just ridiculous. And the guy, I mean, I'm telling you stuff you know, but like to go from playing baseball, not training and go play in the NFL is preposterous. Like it's utterly preposterous. To play a full major league season, 1993, with a fake hip. You only had one hip. And it wasn't like they were putting in like these high tech. It was like your grandma's fake hip he was playing with. He's just an utterly ridiculous, joyful. I mean, the thing I, the trap I don't want to fall into is just making this book 10 million examples of why Bo Jackson's a better athlete than anyone, but he's, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Uh, Jeff, it's been great having you on tonight. Before we let you go, we know you have your own podcast, the two writers sling and Yang podcast. So tell us a little bit about that podcast and also How's it been being a podcaster? <laughs> well, I'm like uh, three and a half years or four years in now. I thought it would be just a project I do on my own. And it is a project I do on my own, but I, I didn't know how long it would last. It's, you know, it's every week I have a different writer, a different journalist or a screenwriter or whatever. And it's really just a, for me, a joy. I make no money off it. I produce it myself. I literally do it all on my laptop. Um, so it's just for me, I love talking about writing. I could talk about writing all day. So for me, it's really, it's, it's joyful. But you guys seem like you have a much more professional setup because you have good mics. You can thank you can thank you can thank Mike for that. I mean yeah, the mics yeah. too, but that mic. Well, there. listen, I worked in television production, you know, at Fox and HBO, and I said, Nick, first thing we got to do is get real mics, uh, and then and then we got to we got to figure that out after that. But and then you uh, got to fire Nick. <laughs> yeah, I haven't told him that yet, Jeff. <laughs> if you wow, I'm seeing the comments. Oh, the I thought Doc, he knew. Man. He like, <laughs> no, no. Is uh, it Nick? I'm sorry, Jeff. Oh, it's the I other told Nick. you. Yeah, yeah, it's the other Nick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
And then the best part is he, you're, you're his favorite writer. That's the best part oh, about it. It's crushing. It's crushing. If you're gonna, Nick, if you're going to find out that you're fired <laughs> off your own podcast, who else to tell you than your favorite writer? That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> right, exactly what I'm saying. Right. Jeff, it's been a thrill having you on tonight. I encourage everybody, uh, wherever books are sold, you can find Jeff's books. They're everywhere. But go get Three Ring Circus, the latest one about Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. We really appreciate it, Jeff. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks. That was Jeff Perlman, a legendary writer, New York Times bestselling author. I'm telling you right now, head to jeffperlman.com and you can check out all the different books he's written about, uh, from Gunslinger, about Brett Favre, to the 86 Mets, if you're a fan of that team, to the 90s Cowboys dynasty, to Barry Bonds, uh, Roger Clemens, you know, even giving you some nuggets. I didn't even know that he found Clemens uninteresting. You know, um, the book that, I, that I've been recommending for everybody, and you see it over my shoulder, Nick's shoulder as well, for those of you watching on YouTube, Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil Jackson, and the story of that dynasty Lakers team. Nick, some great insight there from Jeff, you know, just not only about being a writer, but like subject matter, interviewing people, you know, and, and the stuff that he told you about Kobe and how misunderstood Kobe was. Um, I just thought it was, you know, it's again, we say it all the time. It's interesting, but it really is. If you're, you're watching these people on TV, these guys are mega stars. And then now you kind of dive a little bit more, you know, underneath the hood, you know, so you get to see a little bit more of their personalities. And Jeff really tells these stories or he articulates it so well in his books. His book on the USFL. I mean, I've like you, I mean, I've checked out a lot of Jeff's books. Um, you know, there's quite a talent in the ability to take a story that is like deep. I mean, you and I are, I mean, we're on the older side. I'm 42. I think you're a little younger than me, right. but um, we both, you know the story of the USL resonates with us to some extent, um, but to the average sports fan, like that, like yeah, I'm heard of it, but what does that all mean? He makes that story come alive, and it's a story that was passionate to him as a sports fan growing up, and the ability to do that, and coupled with all these incredible stories, Mike and I have just read uh, Three Ring Circus. Highly recommend. Just one of those guys that as soon as that bo bow book comes out, folks. Amazon, Barnes Noble, wherever you get your books, pre-order it. Yeah, no, you, set it and forget it. No, it's true. Like, and not only that, you were talking about the USFL stuff because you know I didn't even mention that book. And like you said, it's one of his favorites because of the players that were in the league. You know, from Steve Young was in the league. Um, you know, Donald Trump was an owner and trying to get into the NFL for years, and Pete Rozelle wouldn't let him in. Um, th that league had so much talent that it accumulated because. They were paying players more than the NFL. It forced the NFL to kind of inflate their salaries to players back in the 80s. And a lot of people just don't know that story. But I would head to, I would recommend for people, head to jeffperlman.com. Check out his podcast, Two Writers Sling and Yang. Um, it's available wherever you get your podcast. If you're thinking about getting into writing, I mean, I would think of nobody better to learn from than Jeff Perlman. And like I mentioned, jeffperlman.com, when you can get all his books. And his books are out there wherever books are sold. For this podcast, as always, you can check us out uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Nick's smashing the button. Come on, Nick, hit me with a down button there for the YouTube subscribers. Hit the subscribe button, uh, follow the show, leave us a comment in the App Store or in the Apple Podcast section. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm Nick Saveri. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, and, and have a good one. Mm -hmm.